When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abul Samad. We have not disappeared. It's just been a while. So uh, in the meantime, we... all Dan's fault. Yeah, it, it totally is. Um, I have to say, Wisconsin is lovely this time of year. It's, there, sure, there sure are a lot of bugs. Um... I, yeah, I, well, you guys are up. So where's Elkhart Lake in, in like in relation to um, like uh, Milwaukee? It's north of Milwaukee, but uh, about an hour and a half north of Milwaukee, I guess. OK, hour, hour and a half north of Milwaukee. So it's in the northeast corner of uh, Wisconsin, not not as far as Green Bay, but, uh, you know, up in that general direction. OK, so it was buggy up there. Uh, it certainly was on the roads. Uh, you know, I, I think I posted a picture of the, uh, the VW Atlas I was driving that week, Yes, you know, and it was just coated with bugs. Yeah. Uh, a lot of mayflies and stuff. We didn't have quite as much of an issue. Uh, we went, f- uh, over to the Southeast, uh, Southwest corner over by Iowa. Uh, okay. and it wasn't, it wasn't quite, do you know how they, they have Hills there and like, Oh, I know. It, it, it's amazing. I was very confused. I was like, no, 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 this is supposed to be flat here. Um, but yeah, no. so most of my miles over the last week were spent in a either a 737 700 or a Kia Soul, <laughs> <laughs> which is like I, this is a complete tangent and it's probably not all that worthwhile to listen to, but I'm going to say it anyway. So the first um, rental car they tried to give me was this like uh, candy colored Fiesta. And the guy at Enterprise was like, we got that for it. I was like, nope, I'm all set with the Fiesta. What else do you have? And he, he like didn't know what to do with that feedback. <laughs> he like paused <laughs> and was like, uh, <laughs> I have the Kia Soul. I was like, I'll take the Soul. The Soul's fine. And it, it's a, that's a good car to put a couple thousand or not a couple thousand, but a thousand plus miles on. Oh, um, yeah. The Soul Soul's a great car. I like it a lot. It was it was handy. It was quiet and relaxed. And I, I like it. And I just forgot how much I liked it. So. With that, let's talk about the other cars we're driving. So what, what have you been in? So in the interim, since the last time we talked, I've, I've had a couple of different uh, plug-in vehicles, um, starting with the Nissan Leaf, um, the, the new 2018 Leaf, the second generation, which is mostly new, not, not entirely new. Uh, but, and, you know, we discussed that to some degree back in December. You know, it's basically the same, uh, it's the same plot form in the same body structure as the first generation car, which, you know, if you look at it, if you put them side by side, you can see that, you know, the doors are actually carryover, but that's actually the only sheet metal. The doors, and I think the roof panel are the only uh, parts that are carryover. Um, but, you know, all the rest of the, the sheet metal <clears throat> is, looks much more 
conventional and and kind of fits in with the rest of the Nissan lineup. Uh, now it doesn't look quite as as um, unique. Let's put it that unique. way. As, <laughs> as the first generation car. So hey, how are the panel gaps on the Leaf? Uh, they're good. They're yeah. they're very consistent. Yeah. Um, nothing nothing out of the ordinary. You know, pretty much what I would expect of any other, you know, mainstream car built in 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, didn't do any. You know, it it kept running. Didn't do anything weird. You didn't feel like uh, a beta tester. I did not feel like a beta <laughs> tester. Uh, you know, I I did. Uh, you know, on one one day when I was driving back from Detroit uh, from an event in Detroit, I decided to stop off uh, at a DC fast charging station. that's uh, about 10 miles West of here or East of here. Um, you know, just to, to check out the experience of what it was like to do DC fast charging. And one thing to note, um, you know, if you're going to buy an EV, um, you know, if you're, well, even if you're buying a Tesla now, but you know, in general, if you're, if you're going to buy an EV, if you're planning on relying on DC fast charging, it's probably not the most economically viable thing to do uh, because it can be fairly pricey. So, you know, Nissan does have a deal with the Leaf. If you buy when you buy a Leaf, they have a deal with uh, EVgo. You do get two years of DC fast charging uh, for free. Uh, you get 30 minute sessions. Um, but, you know, it's it's a little, you know, it's not as as not necessarily as convenient uh, as other options, especially, you know, if you have home charging. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you're not on one of these subsidized plans, you can also get some, you can get some like subscription type plans with EVgo and ChargePoint and some of the others where basically you can prepay for some charging and you get a, a lower rate. But if you're just doing it a la carte, it can get fairly pricey if you're just looking for a quick charge because uh, they charge like $5 for a connection fee. And then I think it was about 35 cents a minute after that. Uh, and so I, I plugged in and charged for about 15 minutes and put on, added about 25 miles of range to the car, uh, you know, which, which worked out to, you know, it works out to like about 34 cents a mile, uh, I think is what I figured it out as. And, you know, by comparison, you know, our Honda Civic, you know, is in the 20 cents a mile range, uh, for gas. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to buy an EV, you know, I would definitely suggest investing in, you know, make make the one time investment in getting a level two charger at home. That's a 240 volt charger. And, uh, you know, and have, you know, so you can plug that in when you come home, just plug it in. You know, when you leave, you know, you're on your way. And, and the, the leaf, you know, in at least in, uh, you know, moderate temperatures like we had uh, that week. I mean, even the week I had it, it also got pretty hot and I was using the air conditioning and and the range, you know, uh, you know, 140, 150 miles of range uh, is pretty easy to, to manage in that thing. So for most people, it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, it's not quite as uh, quite as long a range as a Chevy Bolt. Uh, but you know, it's also quite a bit, it can, you can have, you can get one for quite a bit cheaper. They start at, uh, just under 30 grand before incentives. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really good value option for you. If you're looking for a longer range EV, um, that, you know, is decent to drive. Um, the only real complaint, you know, I have about the car itself, uh, is the infotainment screen, not the infotainment system. You know, I mean, it, it supports, both CarPlay and Android Auto, and that worked fine uh, most of the time. Uh, but the screen itself was, you know, is not a great display. Uh, you know, it's kind of dim, um, and you know, the contrast is not great. 
Um, and then, you know, the performance of the system itself, you know, it's, it's not as responsive as a lot of the other systems I've tried. You know, when you tap on the screen, it, you know, sometimes it responds and sometimes it doesn't. Um, or if it does respond, sometimes there's a little bit of a lag before something happens. So the, the performance of the system, the, the hardware is more of the problem than anything else. But other than that, the rest of the car was was great to drive as a you know as a compact commuter. You know, it's roomy roomy enough for four adults without any problem. You know, you get decent cargo space in the back, so it's it's a good choice. Yeah, and Nissan has quite a long history now of selling and building EVs. You know, the the Leaf was kind of early on the scene. I remember driving a Leaf back in, geez, two thousand. 2011, something like that. Yeah, they, they they launched. They went on sale in the U.S. in December of 2010, um, like within a week or so of the first generation Chevy Bolt. They both they both hit dealers about the same time and in, in, at the end of 2010. Yeah, and the, the thing that impressed me was when they introduced this new Leaf. Uh, they also they they ran us through all the different sort of like partnerships and deals, like the one you were talking about with EVgo and stuff. They also do a lot of partnerships with municipal uh, fleets and stuff. They're, they're really trying and they're almost being quiet about it, but just sort of trying to get adoption of electric vehicles up. And honestly, I think they've done a lot for it that they Nissan really deserves a, a bit of credit for, for how they've, they've tried to encourage and, and promote EV technology uh, and, and adoption um that maybe they're not being they're not as splashy as uh some of the even as the bolt um so they 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 go by a little quietly but, but the 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 leaf has been a, a a worthwhile car on the market because of what it's done to it's affordable and it it works and it has that support of a major uh, automaker with stores in you know lots of locales so mm-hmm. I, I really like the leaf and the whole like story behind it, I guess. So it's about what all I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a very practical car. You know, it's not something that's going to excite you. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a sports car. It's not a Z, you know, uh, but it'll, you know, it, it, it'll get you where you need to go reliably. Um, you know, as long as it's within 140, 150 miles of where you're starting from. Um, and, you know, it, it does the job. And oh, one, you know, one other uh, feature it's got is the, um, the e-pedal mode, <clears throat> which, um, you know, uh, similar to what uh, GM does uh, on the bolt uh, with the, the, when you put the transmission or you put the shifter in low, uh, when you uh, toggle the uh, e-pedal switch, it gives you very strong regen, um, regenerative braking. So you can do one pedal driving. And um, it it works slightly differently than the system on the Bolt. On the Bolt, when you come down to a stop, you know, on, on any electrified vehicle, uh, you know, whether it's a hybrid or or a battery electric, uh, as you come to a stop, the the regeneration regenerative braking is inherently going to phase out because what it's doing is it's using it's recapturing kinetic energy um, as you're slowing down, converting that back into electrical energy through the the motor generator. And on the Bolt, what they do is uh, typically on, on a hybrid, you know, and on, on previous EVs, what they do is as you get down to below about five miles an hour, it starts to phase out the regenerative braking and phase in the friction braking using your, your traditional brakes. Um, and sometimes that transition can be, uh, you know, depending on how it's done, um, can be you can you can feel that, especially under certain types Ab- of you know, like, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, or you know, you'll feel you may feel a little little step 
you know, a change in the braking um, behavior as you get down to low speed. What GM did on the Bolt is um, when you're, if you're not touching the brake pedal, um, if, if you take your foot off the accelerator, as you get down to, you know, two, three miles an hour, it actually transitions from recapturing the, the brake energy to actually feeding some reverse uh, torque back into the engine. So feeding some juice back in, or not the engine, the motor, feeding some electricity back into the motor to give you a reverse torque to bring you down to that final stop. And it does it in a completely seamless way. And then it, it just gives a little trickle of juice, just enough to hold the car in place, even if you're on a grade. Um, you know, uh, in in um, Nissan's case, they actually do use the, the friction braking to do that. And so it'll, it'll use the stability control actuator to apply the brakes uh, but I, you know, I found it to be completely seamless. You know, I never noticed the, any transition between the two. So they did a really good job on that. Uh, and it, it works really well. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's for someone that's looking for an EV and maybe doesn't want to spend quite as much up front, you know, as, as what a bolt will cost or, you know, other options. Um, the, the leaf is probably the best bet right now for, uh, for a car that, you know, has a, a real usable amount of range, even in cold weather and, uh, and should be fairly reliable, you know, like I said, starting at 30,000. Uh, and then if you've got, you know, the federal tax incentive, you're, you know, you're down to 22 and a half. And if you're in California, you can, you can get it under 20,000, uh, with the state incentives. So it's, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And I mean, the Nissan, I like the Leaf. Uh, I think it's a, a good car and they continue to improve it. And they've probably done more for EVs than just just, uh, you know, most automakers until recently. So, yeah, and there, there is a there is another version of it coming later this year with a larger battery. So this one has a 40 kilowatt hour battery. There'll be a 60 kilowatt version coming um, 60 kilowatt hour version coming with over 200 miles of range. So it'll match the bolt. What I think but they that'll, should, that'll be more expensive, though. Yeah. What I, what I think they should do is now that they've proven the technology out, too, is they they're never going to stop building the Z from what it seems like. So they should just put the leaf powertrain in the Z, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little more performance, a little reduced range. Yeah, I mean, I mean a, high, a higher power motor, you know, at the rear axle instead of the front, um, you know, and then uh, pack some batteries where the uh, where the VQV six goes today. I think that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> um why not yeah i mean we, we may be likely to see like a hybrid q i mean uh, an, that, an ev q60 but that's yeah we'll probably see um for the next generation z if and when it shows up you know we'll probably use something like the e-power system uh that they have uh on the uh, note available on the note in japan the versa note um which is a series hybrid system and it's, it'll probably be something more like that on the z I think they're also going to they're going to use that on a upcoming infinity model as well yeah so i mean they they're i just uh, now now i'm thinking about the z and i just i love that car how raw it is because it's so old now um but anyway yeah. let's let you you were driving something else too the you, you had the mitsubishi yeah, when, outlander phev which uh right so i i dropped off the uh the leaf at the airport before i went to uh uh, went to Minneapolis to drive the Insight, uh, the Honda Insight, and then to California for a few days. And when I came back, I got the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid. And um, it's pretty much everything that I've uh, come to expect of the Mitsubishi Outlander. So not a uh, whole lot. Plug. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say the last time I was it's, in the Outlander, right, like it's it's easy to 
throw stones at that car and just be like, yeah, it's not great. But then, you know, for, for the price wise, it's it's really it's not it's not terrible. It just doesn't command respect, I suppose. It It's a you know, it's priced well and it does all of the things. It has all of the features for the most part that its competitors do. It's just uh, they're making the best of their platform situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mitsubishi, you know, right now, you know, the last year Renault Nissan uh, took over a controlling interest in in Mitsubishi. And so they're working on a next generation of vehicles for the Mitsubishi lineup. You know, they're going to share platforms and, and architectures and, and hardware with uh, with the rest of the Renault and Nissan lineups. Um, so those are coming. You know, the, the Outlander is kind of, you know, the last of the older generation of Mitsubishis. And, you know, it's it's not a terrible vehicle. You know, it's not you know, there's there's nothing there's nothing that's really going to excite you about it. You know, it's it's OK. Um, you know, the it doesn't it's not it's not terribly ugly. The proportions are a little odd. The, the nose is a little long uh, when you look at it in profile. But, you know, aside from that, it, it doesn't look bad, especially, you know, after they refreshed it a couple of years ago. Um and, you know, the hybrid powertrain works really well, works really smoothly. Uh, when you've got juice in the battery, you know, you can drive at highway speeds, uh, you know, 70, 75 miles an hour on electricity alone. It's got about 20 miles of electric driving range, which is, you know, which is fine. Um, you know, and right now there's not, I don't, there's not really anything, any other plug-in hybrid um, SUV or crossover in this price range. You know, right. and if you want... If you want to plug in hybrid crossover, um, you know, right at the moment, at least you still have to go up to like the German premium brands or, you know, or Volvo's uh, to get something like this. And they're going to be a lot more expensive. Right. You know, so the the you know, the Outlander starts at about thirty five and the one I drove is about forty one. Uh, it's got, um, you know, it's got an updated audio system that's got CarPlay and Android Auto support. So that's good. Is it still uh, um, the the Rockford Fosgate? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a Rockford Fosgate system. Um, you know, it's not it's not exceptional sound, but it's fine. You know, it's, it's for for the average consumer. You know, you're probably gonna you know if you try it out, you're probably not gonna have any major complaints about it. Yeah, well, I, and, and with with you know CarPlay or Android Auto too, it the, the biggest issue with those for me has always been the interface, and so by using CarPlay, you kind of get around that. Right. Um, you know, and the. The one I drove, um, you know, unfortunately, at somewhere along the line, somewhere in the last few loans, it came back um, without the charging cord. So I didn't have an opportunity to plug <laughs> it in. Uh, but one, you know, something that Mitsubishi does do on this one is they've got a couple of buttons for, uh, you know, saving your charge. So, you know, if you're if you're driving somewhere on the highway and you want to preserve the the battery charge uh, for when you get into back into the city, you know, so you can drive around emissions free around town. Uh, you can press the save button. There's also another one that you can enable charging. So it'll keep the engine on and you know, run it a little bit harder to charge the battery. So if, if the battery was depleted, you can add some charge back into the battery. So again, around town, you can drive it electrically. Uh, so those, those are a couple of nice little features. Um, you know, it's fairly roomy. Uh, you know, the, the third row seat is, is small as you would expect in a, in a midsize crossover of this type. Uh, but you know, aside from that, it's, it's fine. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's not exciting, but you know, it's not, um, uh, it, it's not as bad as some of the Mitsubishi's no. I've driven in past years. Right. It's like the epitome of uh, the sort of 
that'll do. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, and and it, I just I feel bad, uh, you know, talking smack about them because they they like you said they have a unique offering, which is you know that's more than than some brands do uh, these days. I mean, it's 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 the only plugin in that. It's unique. So. It's unique for it's unique for the moment. Right. Right. No, I mean, it, and it, it, this is only a stopgap at this point. You know, they, I think they've, they've clearly, you know, Mitsubishi clearly understands that it's, it's platform is old. Like that wheelbase is too short. They're, they're, that is the, as big as they can get on the, on that set of hardware. And, you know, it's, it's just, it, it is what it is for the moment and it'll sell some and get them over the hump. And then, yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a sporty utility, right. uh, like some that, that we've driven of late, but you know, it's, it's comfortable, you know, it's got a nice comfortable ride. Yeah. They, they always um, it's drive. Got, it's got more than adequate acceleration. So yeah. And Mitsubishi, their stuff always drives pretty well from just like a, a general driving perspective. You know, they, they handle decently and you know, the controls don't, do weird stuff it's they're not overly mushy so as much as i make jokes uh it's a fine effort so what's their hybrid system though is it um it's it's developed in-house and it's you know like a, a traditional hybrid with a like a, a yeah it's, cvt it's, it's or a, is it yeah it's an it's an in-house you know power split hybrid you know similar kind of architecture to a toyota or a ford um you know nothing nothing revolutionary uh you know two uh I think it's two motors. Um, yeah, two motors in there. Uh, two, so like a one between the motor, the engine, and the transmission, and then one in the rear. Uh, let's see. Yeah, actually, so actually, it's a. Th- it looks like it's a three motor. Um, so, or no, two motor. Yeah, so one between the engine and transmission, and then one in the for the rear axle. So it's a rear, uh, rear electric drive. So right. So uh, that's how it does four wheel drive. So yeah, for the on demand four wheel drive. Yeah. That's and then a, you know, yeah. the, the battery is a 12 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery. It'll get you about 22 miles of, uh, of electric driving. It's got support for Chatamo, uh, DC fast charging, same as the leaf. Uh, so you can, you can pop into, you know, a, a station that supports that and, and top it off, you know, pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, for 41 grand. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, this was, this, that was for a loaded one. Yeah. You know, the one, I, the one I had had a, couple little issues on under you know hard braking i could feel the the driver's seat kind of rock just a little <laughs> bit um <laughs> not, not yeah. a lot just enough that something's not quite right there um yeah. and then you know when you when you lock the door see uh, the driver's side power mirror would fold in nicely you know tucked in against the bodywork, uh but the one on the passenger side would go a little bit and then stop i mean it's not like it had falcon doors that wouldn't close that's true. Yeah, I mean that, that's those, <laughs> those are far less of an issue than you know. And I've, I've I've driven cars over the years that had a lot more seatbelt or driver's seat rock than than this one did. So um, yeah, the, the door the doors close reliably. They lock and unlock. You know, so <laughs> no major no major issues there. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm still I I really want to see what Mitsubishi's cooking up uh, next because you know they've got the Eclipse Cross now, which is that's actually pretty interesting. I just haven't had a chance to drive one so. I think that's yeah, like a new I think, day. I think you know with the with the collaboration with the rest of the Renault and Nissan teams, I think it's I think we're we're probably going to see some interesting stuff from Mitsubishi over the next five years. Good. Um, they, so they, what about you? They need it. <laughs> uh, I drove a couple of really expensive trucks. Um, I had the 2019 Ram 1500 in Laramie trim. 
I can't, uh-huh. I can't figure out whether it was Laramie Longhorn or just Laramie with some extra options, but either way, it was a, a big, huge inside, relatively comfortable, quiet, luxurious uh, pickup truck. That, the crew cab or the oh yeah no it had the all the full four doors it wasn't the shorter four it was because they they have right they do they that still thing's do that? got a huge amount of of leg room in the back seat oh, it's it's enormous you know and so there's still the rumors that this truck is going to to sort of spawn a, a top of the range jeep suv and i can totally understand that because i i really was like I would like this vehicle a lot if it were a traditional full-size SUV, which inst- instead of having a bed, if it had a third row. And I think it would it would make a very good uh, vehicle like that. Like it, it, it would be a really good three-row SUV. That would be a really serious challenger to to GM and Ford in that case, yeah. uh, as a Jeep. You know, especially with the Jeep Jeep styling and and the Jeep name on there and the Jeep think, profit margin. Yes. I think, <laughs> I think they could get some serious margins on a vehicle like that. You could, you could probably have a top end Jeep based on that platform, you know, that you could sell for a hundred grand. Yeah. I agree with that. Especially, um, where the prices of stuff like the Escalade and the Navigator are going and we'll get back to that. But, yeah. um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the Laramie trim is, it's, it's lovely. I mean, Chrysler certainly does, interiors really well even in trucks and you know styling is is a high point for them it's this is a great looking truck it's uh really really well turned out inside and i know that the the laramie trim is like it's it'd be interesting for me to look at the tradesman and see like what the differences are because this is the luxury version but uh even the stuff like the the plastic trim around the bezels they they thought about it it's not just like you know a normal piece of plastic or like with a just a rolled over radius and vacuum deposited chrome it's got it, they set it up so that it looks like it came out of a um a, a casting so it's got like a rough edge and then had the face machined so it's just like it's a much more complex mold to make that and then uh it was it was like some satin metal um coating on it so like all of those little details add up to make a really nice environment that while it's a pickup truck uh fully sort of embrace the fact that yeah these are vehicles that people buy because they don't buy you know a a cadillac or a 300 or um you know a bmw they they buy the truck because they want the truck uh did did yours have the big uh the big touch screen in the middle? I think so or the 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 eight and a half inch screen i think um i want to say it had the eight and a half inch screen Okay, because there's also the the, the one that has the 12 inch screen, uh, which basically extends to the top half of the screen. You still have this basically the same UI as what you get with the standard Uconnect and then more of the controls embedded in the the touch screen, the bottom half of the touch screen as well. Yeah, I so and I think that's standard in the I know the the 8.4 inch is standard in the in the in the Laramie. Laramie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it did have the like the LED headlights and um, it didn't have running boards, which it really desperately needed because it was <laughs> it's kind of tall and I'm kind of short. Um, you know, it's it was a lovely, you know, beautifully designed truck that's, uh, you know, certainly down to do some work. It, it has uh, all the, the truck features, you know, like the, that you need. I didn't have a chance to really challenge it. But, uh, you know, trucks are this this place where uh everybody's putting their best into trucks. So 
it, it's a, it, it's really well turned out. And, and, uh, I don't think you can go wrong with, with any of the brands. Uh, this one being the newest is one of my favorites. You know, I think that between the, the big three, I'm probably less of a F series fan. And, and, uh, I think the GM trucks are, are right in the middle. And, and this one, because it's so new, I think they, they corrected a lot of stuff on it and it has the, coil spring suspension and just it, it drives like a chrysler and they always drive well to to my taste so yeah you know i i drove the uh the ram in march out in arizona and you know with with that coil spring rear suspension which is unique in the full-size truck segment at least for now um it's uh it, it it's a really impressive uh you know truck you know in terms of its ride quality and it's it's driving dynamics, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're driving a three ton truck, uh, most of the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a neat trick. And, uh, you know, the only area I guess that it does feel like it's kind of a big heavy vehicle is that, that 5.7 liter Hemi, even with almost 400 horsepower <laughs> feels a little bit like, I mean, it, it moves it along, but not, not quite with the authority that you might expect from you know, something that has a heavy badge on it, you know? Right. No, it, um, it, it you know, what, what I'm still waiting for is a chance to try out the, uh, the 48 volt mild hybrid version, Yeah. which is, you know, that's going to be standard on the V6 and, um, then optional on the Hemis and, you know, that, that on the Hemis, you know, that's going to add another 130 foot pounds of torque, uh, from the, from the belted starter generator system on there. And, uh, that's, that will be interesting to see how that behaves and how much fuel, real world fuel economy benefit you can get out of it. Yeah. Well, I was surprised with the fuel economy out of this one, not because it was so great, but because it wasn't so terrible and it has, you know, the, the, um, I think it had an off on, on off, uh, automatic, you know, where it would shut yeah, down. Yeah. It's got auto stop start. Yeah. Um, and so that stuff, it, it works. I, I mean, my fuel economy was like 16 and a half, 16, almost 17 average over the time it was with me which yeah it's not great but it's not not terrible. i mean if you're driving mostly around town you know in a truck like that that's not that's not terrible you're not yeah you're not going to get a whole lot better than that from you know the competing trucks uh just yet anyway yeah uh you know and then you know so at the end of this year you know around november or so they uh, gm is, is supposed to start production of their new trucks uh so you know, it'll be interesting to see how those compare to this one yeah, and I, like I'm waiting for the first full size truck to sort of fully embrace the fuel economy thing, where they downsize the engine to a four cylinder, a smaller four cylinder. Well, that's what GM's well, doing. Yeah, I know, but also like put a hybrid, like put the two together. Um, I'm sure that's sooner rather than later, at least from GM. Um, yeah, I think Ford. You know, Ford's going to launch their hybrid uh, in 2020 on the F-150. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, you know, I think that's probably going to be with a V6, not with a four cylinder. Yeah, probably be with the Nano, which I mean, the Nano versus a four cylinder that that might the V6 might do better there anyway. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, the, but yeah, GM's going to have a 2.7 liter four cylinder turbo in uh, in the new Silverado and Sierra. So yeah, and I think that's that. Well, the GMs are some of the lightest trucks. I think uh, you know Ford yeah. Fords are they make a big deal about the Fords being aluminum, but I think the GM trucks out of steel are at, within like not you know fifty to hundred well, pounds. They're not. They're uh, well, now the the current generation GM trucks are about one hundred and fifty. Oh, is it more? Two hundred pounds more. 
you know, I think what it was, the previous generation of the Ford trucks were particularly heavy. And when they went to aluminum, they chopped a lot of weight on there and it, it made them lighter than the other trucks. Um, but, you know, GM's already done, uh, you know, for the next, for their new truck, you know, they're, they're using some aluminum, but they're also using a lot of high strength steel and that's going to, uh, they should be probably roughly about even on the new trucks. Yeah. I, this is, so there's a lot going on in Truckland that, um, you know, it's worth keeping an eye on. Cause I think that they're repeating a lot of stuff that happened with cars over the last 20 years. So it's starting to, to pick away at with, with trucks. And I, I think it's, it's really started to accelerate, uh, regardless of what goes on with, um, actual fuel economy regulations and stuff. I, I think that the automakers are just, just going to continue. I, I would be surprised if they stop because, you know, some, some regulation gets, you know, eased at a certain point. They're, they're you know, they're like, well, we're committed. We're going to have to at least follow this through. Um, and who knows well, what happens between yeah, here I mean, and there. You know, they, they've already, you know, laid out a product plan and, you know, they, you can't necessarily, you know, just because something is a certain way under the current administration doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Right. So you're better off to stick with the plan, um, especially, you know, if, if it's a plan that you can make money on, um, and, you know, continue down that path so that, you know, when somebody decides again, that you need to start cranking fuel economy up, you'll be ready for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even before that too, you know, the, uh, fuel efficient trucks are going to do better when the price of gas goes up and it's already crept up a little bit. So yeah, it's just, just around three bucks a gallon around here now. So yeah. So regardless of who says you must do what, <laughs> if, if the trucks are there with, with what the consumers need, they'll, they'll do all right. Um, but we talked about the Ford trucks and the, the other thing I had a chance to drive before I hopped on a plane was a uh, 2018 Lincoln Navigator Black Label. And uh, so that's about a $94,000 Lincoln which seems weird to think about. Um, but then you consider what it's competing with and it's, it's really competitive actually. Uh, I just couldn't get comfortable in it, which I was, I was sad about because it's really, it's old style, uh, Lincoln glamor in, in the way it's, they've got it glitzed up. And I don't, I don't say that as a, as a sort of crack at it either. It's, it's, it's very well done. The, the design inside and out is, is really nice. Uh, they, they did a really good job giving it a unique identity the interior is is beautiful it's just the seats which uh, let me down <laughs> I, I couldn't i mean with those with those 36 adjust 36 way adjustments you still couldn't find a comfort, comfortable position right there's that one key adjustment that they couldn't couldn't accommodate is to get the head restraint from pushing my head down it's like uh. and it has this the you know the motorized in and out setting and a lot of times you know i've talked about where i'll i'll take the head restraints out and turn them around. And that usually makes it a little, a little better. Um, you can't do that with these because there were screens on the back and they're motorized. So you couldn't, and, and BMW has that too, but you could bend the, they have an adjustment where you can flex the top of the seat back a little bit and, and get comfortable. Um, so I just, I couldn't get that. That requires like, uh, you, then you have to play with the backrest angle to sort of get some sort of normalcy. And it, it just I couldn't get comfortable in the seats, which which made me a little sad because otherwise, you know, uh, the cabin of this thing is really beautifully turned out. It's it's nicely designed. The ergonomics are a little strange, um, you know, like where you'd think there's a start button. It's actually the trailer 
backing control kind of thing. And it's so right. The pro trailer control, I think they call it. Yeah. I kept hitting that to shut it off because <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the start button is actually up on the, the it's just on the upper edge of the, the dash. And, um, you know, it's it's still sync three. So it's kind of. You got to deal with some of that. It's it's a lot better than it was. Um, so it, I think with with some time to operate it, you'd be OK. But uh, yeah, you know, touch screens and cars are going to get my continual sort of hatred. So. <laughs> but it's I mean, it, it's a big, quiet, comfy ish place. Um, it had a lot of motorized features, which are nice, like the motorized um, third row mm-hmm. and then the, the power second row and the motorized hatch and it had the automatic Everything is motorized in this thing. Yeah. And and so, and that's why I say it's like old Detroit luxury, right? Because it's almost like that. It's not, it's not window dressing, but it's like, well, how can we just slather more on? Well, I I think it's interesting. I I think it's kind of a, a mix of, you know, that classic American luxury, but also, you know, modern German, you know, with every feature and amenity you can think of, you know, with everything power operated, you know, all the electronics and everything, you know, it's, you know, there, there's a lot there. Um, you know, and so it's, it's this kind of odd mix. Uh, you know, I personally, I think they, they did a good job of blending it, you know, because it, it's really not trying to directly compete with the European premium brands. You know, they've, they've realized that that's a, you know, that's a dead end, you know, they they're, to to try to directly take on Mercedes and BMW and Audi, um, you know, would be so horrendously expensive and it would take so long that, you know, they they decided that the better approach was to really focus on the customer experience, you know, really execute the vehicle well within the constraints of what they could do. And then, you know, really focus on the whole customer experience angle. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's, that's really important. That's probably smart, you know, because to, the navigator is larger than you know Mercedes, Audi, BMW offerings, so it has that advantage. It's got its traditional truck in, in terms of having a frame under it, which that gives it another advantage. It, it's you know it, it's designed, I think, for American use, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And Did, was yours the XL or the standard version? Mine was the standard version, but it's still big enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now imagine that with an extra foot in there. Yeah, and and I think that that's that's its biggest selling point is like, yeah, it's a truck, but it's really nice and quiet. I mean, the, the carpeting was like a, you know cut pile carpet, like you'd have in a house and <laughs> stuff, and uh, it's it's really nice and comfortable, but it's also underneath it all, it's a pretty decent truck. So you know, I had the three point five liter. Uh, they don't call it the EcoBoost like like we TDI. Yeah, um, that engine's really powerful and responsive, uh, and it's efficient too. This also got about seventeen <sighs> miles to the gallon, which you know for for what it is 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 not terrible. And I don't think it would actually suffer too much if it were doing the kind of towing that a Lincoln owner would use it for. You know, um, which which color combination did you have? Uh, that it was bad. <laughs> it was. It was light metallic blue everywhere. Okay. Like yeah. the interior was light blue. It was just like my Crown Vic. It was light metallic blue on the outside and just light blue on the inside. One I think it's color. I think it's that I think I think they call that one the the yacht club theme. So yeah, it was uh, like the three different black label themes. And it have the the bleached teak yes. uh, trim. Yeah. Which like if they had natural teak, it would have looked so much better. Like you just like this this is all down to taste and design, but I mm-hmm. in the like the design is lovely. I really love the design of the instrument panel for you know to to sort of geek out on details. 
Um, I'm not super fond of the way they've integrated the screen. Like they've done the best they could, um, but that would be a lovely sweep of a panel without a screen on it. And, uh, you know, just overall beautifully designed, not real good looking in blue with white stitching, but you know, I mean, if that's your thing, <laughs> the materials yeah, are good. That's the same combination. I, that, that, I think that particular combination, you know, that's their, um, I forget the, the word they use for it. It's, it's their, their star combination, you know, that they use, you know, at auto shows and, and everything else. Um, you know, that's, that's the one that they like to highlight. Um, cause they, they seem to like that one the best. Well, it probably yeah. looks really good in a show situation, like inside under lights. Uh, I can, I can see that looking better than, or at least more striking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like seeing Lincoln get something of its own and the navigator certainly stands apart from, from the, uh, the expedition. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the thing we talked about a bit, you know, the, when I drove it uh, a couple of months ago is, you know, when you sit in this thing, you know, if you, if you sit in the navigator and then you go sit in an expedition, you know, they, they're obviously the same type of vehicle, a big SUV. Um, and, but you look at it inside and there is nothing, if, if you didn't know that it was all the same hardware underneath the visible parts, there, there, none of the parts that you see and touch are common with the expedition. Every single piece in that IP, all the switch gear, uh, the steering wheel, everything is unique to Lincoln. You know, so uh, even though it's on the same platform, it uses the same powertrain. You know, uses all the all the the really um, the the expensive parts. You know, the, the are you know those those are the ones that are common, but those are the ones you don't see. And but the ones that you touch and feel every day, that is distinct. You know, and so you don't feel like you're when you're in this, you don't feel like you're driving a Ford. Well, then, other other than the Sync UI. Yeah, but that's no small effort either. To oh no, to no, make no it uh, absolutely. I mean, and, and in fact, it you know, I I, I guess I kind of misspoke a little bit when I said you know the more expensive parts because in fact, it, it actually does take a lot of uh, cost a lot and takes a lot of effort to engineer all the switch gear and validate it all and, and manufacture it. And this is one of the things, you know, that we've talked about with Tesla before, you know, I think one of the reasons, you know, I think there's, there's two kind of driving forces behind, you know, the way, the way Tesla does their very minimalist interiors. One is they're trying to make it look more futuristic and, um, you know, more high tech. That's that's a part of it. But the other thing is it also saves them a lot of money. Yeah, there's, there's no actual hardware to build. Yeah. You yeah. Know, when you don't have to engineer all these switches and assemble everything and it's all just done in in software in the screen, you know, it, it saves you a lot of a lot of cost. Of course, you know, it's often less reliable. Well, but. yeah. And that's the same kind of thing. If you look back to you'd see the uh, the supercars doing, you know, even Ferraris used Fiat switches and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh the the Viper had a you know a bunch of Grand Cherokee stuff in it, so that that makes sense um, to to save money on that stuff where you can. Um, but I think it also makes sense here to to really give the thing its own identity. You know, the thing that got the most comments, I think, um, from from people riding in it was the push button shift. Yeah, uh, you know, because that's that's really different, and it does it takes a minute to figure it out. I, not, I don't really feel one way or another about it. Um, it's a solution to clear out space in the the console, so it it achieves that goal. It it does kind of 
put you in the situation now where you've got like a non-standard thing you have to remember uh, how to use. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, if you're not like us driving a different vehicle every week, you know, if you're driving this thing day after day for a couple of years, you will get used to that fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so so we we complain about that, you know, about the, the non-standard you know, interface for stuff like that. And there are, you know, a lot of times there are very legitimate complaints. Yeah. You know, there's there's some really bad ones like, you know, the Lincoln MKC, for example, the way they did the push button shifter on that along the side of the instrument cluster. Oh, yeah. Hid, hidden behind the steering wheel. <laughs> you know, so you've got to lean over to the, you know, to the right to look around the steering wheel to figure out which one to press. Uh, you know, whereas here, you know, at least it's out in the open. It's, you know, below the center you know, in a row across below the center vents. Um, and so it, it's at least visible on this one. Uh, but, you know, I think for the average buyer that is going to live with one of these vehicles for one, excuse me, one or more years, I think that's probably less of an issue as long as it's not too ergonomically um, poorly executed. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's some things that I would like to see them do, you know, uh, you could add some, some raised areas on those switches, almost like, like if you think about like how Braille works, Mm -hmm. um, so that they, they're tactily different. So you can even shift by feel. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure that that came up too. So, um, there's, there's refinements you could make to that stuff that would maybe even make it better. Uh, but you know it's a it's a luxury SUV and it really it had a lot of that stuff that a lot of the driver support stuff was was good um the the adaptive cruise it had a head up display which i i really i like that stuff uh i think those should be standard um you know lane departure warning which is helpful in something so big um the the camera system also helpful in something so big to just maneuver it uh and you know actual 4x4 system with with you know hill descent control and uh, you, you'll get stuck off road with it, with this giant turbine style wheels, <laughs> but, um, it, it can do it if you equip it correctly. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, this is, this is the best navigator they've ever made. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential and promise and here. Are arguably the best Lincoln ever made. I don't know, man. The Mark two. Mm. Okay. That Mark II. certainly was the best <laughs> modern Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, even in, even in that third row seat, even in the standard wheelbase model, you know, adults can fit in that third row seat fairly comfortably, unlike in an Escalade or a Suburban, you know, because of the fact that, G- or that Ford uses uh, an independent rear suspension. So you have a much lower floor um, in, in the, uh, the Expedition and Navigator that lets you sit, you know, in a more comfortable seating, pos- in a more normal seating position instead of, you know, with the floor being, you know, with the the, rear, the third row seats and the GM utilities sit right on the floor. And so you sit yeah. in a very knees up position and yeah. it's not very comfortable. And this one, you know, that's not an issue at all. Yeah. that, And so those like those functional improvements are, are what's going to make it, I think, uh, what's going to make owners really uh, rave about their vehicles. Right. Like that and the, the dealership experience, which hopefully they actually follow through on. Um, th- that's how you win customers. Um, you don't necessarily have to do a full on product assault. Uh, and I think they're, they've learned that they've watched Cadillac do it the product way. <laughs> and I think Lincoln's trying to, trying to mix the two. It's like, yeah, we'll improve the product, but we also need to make the experience better and make, make the product fit people's lives versus, uh, you know, just try to make our own versions of the halo vehicles that other people make. So. Yep. 
um yeah it's a good thing the the, the revel audio system by the way sounds bad that's all i'll say about it but I, <laughs> I could not make it sound good it was weird okay um so yeah anyway let's move on let's talk about other stuff um let's see so the things we wanted to chat about let's uh, I, we can figure out what order we pick them in but uh ford bought michigan central station um you drove the 2019 insight and uh looks like uh volvo is opening a new factory in the u.s to make the s60 and then uh you spoke with uh, uh no uh what's the dan ammon and mark royce thing yeah so uh dan ammon and mark royce uh two of the top executives at uh, general motors today um dan ammon is the uh the president and mark royce is executive vp um so ammon is uh second in command to uh ceo mary barra uh and then uh, royce is right behind him uh so royce for the last several years has been responsible for all the product development uh at gm and uh ammon uh ammon actually came to gm in 2010 uh after the bankruptcy uh as the uh treasurer and eventually became cfo uh, and he he led them th- uh, through their IPO, uh, so he handled the most of the IPO process after the bankruptcy, um, and so kind of you know over the last you know six or seven years, uh, or probably I guess about the last five years since Mary Barra uh, stepped up to CEO, uh, you know Amon has kind of handled the the global product portfolio and some of the the larger you know business planning side of it and. Um, uh, Royce has had responsibility for all the product itself. Uh, and so what they're doing, uh, there was a uh, reported earlier this week, uh, or a couple of days ago that they are, uh, shifting responsibilities a little bit. And, uh, one of the things, you know, uh, it's been interesting with, with Dan Amon, uh, over the last year, whenever there's been anything going on with cruise automation, um, or, you know, the autonomous stuff, he's been very much front and center with that, you know, as like the, the top GM executive at those events. Uh, and then, you know, um, Royce has been, you know, on all the other product stuff. And so I guess what's happening now is, uh, Eamon is, uh, giving up some of his responsibilities related to the Cadillac brand. Um, and he's going to be focusing more on the whole business side of automated automated vehicles and what's going on with crews. And there's some speculation that, you know, with with the recent um, uh, with the recent uh, investment by SoftBank into uh, into GM Cruise LLC, which is the was the wholly owned subsidiary of GM that's doing their automated driving development. Um, that uh, at some point, you know, that could be spun off or it could be set up as a separate tracking stock from the standard GM stock. And that you know, eventually, uh, Eamon could end up being the, um, the, uh, the CEO of GM Cruise. Uh, but for, for now, at least, he's going to take, take on more responsibility for the, what's going on with the business around automated mobility uh, services and, and their automated driving systems. Uh, and, uh, Royce is picking up responsibility, uh, for Cadillac engineering more, you know, more of the, the Cadillac product line. We still have Steve Carlisle as the president of Cadillac, you know, but that's more, you know, his role is more on the, the marketing, uh, and sales side of the business. Um, and, uh, and Royce will continue to be, and Royce will also get, um, the global product portfolio planning. Okay. I mean, he's a good product guy. Like I, I, I like his, uh, 
his touch is good. Uh, <gasps> you know, his he's got a long sort of family history with GM and product and performance vehicles in particular too, right? Wasn't his dad uh, pretty pretty yeah, deep his, into performance? His, his dad was uh, GM president uh, in the 1980s. He he led Buick for many years. Uh, Lloyd Royce. Oh, uh, uh, his, that's his right. Yeah, was, was his dad Lloyd's still alive? Yeah, and wasn't the doesn't the GN come out under his his sort of guidance? The the Grand, Grand National, National? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that was all him. You know the the Buick Turbo V sixes. You know that was all that all came out under uh, Lloyd Royce's leadership, and uh, you know Mark Royce. You know over the past uh, I guess about ten years since he came back from Australia, right. he did a stint in Australia for uh, I think. Yeah, seven or eight years. Right. So those, Holden. those those Commodores that we all yep. really wanted, yes. <laughs> I think was was we his all, we thing. All, we all said we wanted, but you know when they actually brought them over, nobody actually bought them. Um, you know, either whether they were badged as G8s or Pony, or Chevrolet SSs. You know, everybody wanted them, but nobody nobody actually ponied up to pay for them. Um, but nonetheless, they you know they were still very good vehicles, and and they also you know provided the. Um, you know, the basis for a number of North American GM products like the, the fifth generation Camaro and the previous generation CTS, you know, were, were based on uh, on that platform. But now they're, um, you know, they've moved on to, uh, to other stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, un- under Royce's, Mark Royce's leadership, you know, over the past seven or eight years, I mean, GM has done some really impressive engineering work um, in terms of improving their vehicles, but also, you know, uh, doing a lot of things with weight reduction, you know, that didn't have to resort to using exotic materials or, you know, going to aluminum intensive uh, structures, you know, so they've, they've done some really smart engineering work Yeah, and there's, there's some, some really impressive stuff there. Well, even when they've done exotic stuff, like the Cadillac CT6 has, it's, that's quite a high tech body structure. Oh yeah. You know, um, they've done it really well and really thoughtfully. Yeah. I mean, you know, they developed things like, you know, they figured out a way to weld aluminum and steel together. You know, without without causing galvanic corrosion, you know, which is something that nobody ever figured out before. Um, so yeah, they've they've done. There's a lot of good work that's been done there. So I think you know that this this you know the, these kind of shifting responsibilities at the top of GM, you know, I think bode well for you know a, a strong future, um, you know, over the next five to ten years for GM, both on their their traditional product side, but also. Um, you know, for what they're doing on the autonomous side. Yeah. So with the move to, to sort of focus and uh, not, not focus GM on entirely, but you know, they're, they're obviously paying attention to autonomy and, and that sort of next wave of innovation, but it sounds like the traditional car is not dead there, uh, which we're all of us. Traditional car fans are a little worried about too. Well, let, let, let's, let's rephrase that. The traditional vehicle, traditional, ve- okay. traditional vehicle, <laughs> car, car, cars may well be dead. <laughs> or dying, uh, you know, ba- based on what we saw, you know, the, the other thing that I didn't put on the list, you know, uh, the other day uh, in Atlanta, Chevrolet unveiled the 2019 Blazer. Yeah. Everybody's um, upset about it. And it's just like, I mean, they own the name they, just because yeah. you have some sort of emotional attachment to the old name, uh, what the, the Blazer used to be. doesn't mean that they have to make another one just to satisfy you. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I think this is probably something we'll see more of, you know, one, one of the issues and, you know, we'll get into this a little bit uh, in a minute with the Honda Insight as well. You know, it's, it's really hard, really expensive to launch a new nameplate into the marketplace, you know, to get, brand recognition for a new vehicle nameplate and you know um they're you know 
all you know every car company has done this you know where they've tried to launch new models you know add new models and and you know bring them uh you know the the getting people familiar with what is a blazer or you know what is a cruise you know and then of course you know gm has had its issues with that you know in terms of confusion uh, among its among its nameplates you know like they launched the volt and then they brought out the bolt uh and they have the chevrolet cruise and then now the the autonomous version of the bolt is called the gm cruise spelled differently with this s instead of a z but you know, it, it, so it, naming naming is always a challenge, and I think you know that's that's one of the I think that's one of the reasons why you know especially a lot of the premium brands have stuck to alphanumeric things because you know then the focus is more on the brand rather than the the individual model nameplate. But um, you know, for GM, you know, Blazer's a, a known name, you know, well associated with SUVs. Although, you know, this is going to be a different kind of vehicle. It's you know, it's a midsize crossover. Um, you know, based on the fact that it's being built uh, at their Ramos plant in Mexico, uh, it's probably a derivative of the the Theta platform. You know, their compact uh, crossover platform, which is used for the Equinox and, uh, the Cadillac XT5 and, and, uh, the, the GMC terrain, uh, you know, just a, a longer version of that. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's definitely got very aggressive styling for a crossover. And this is something we'll, yeah. we'll definitely be seeing more of in the, the next few years is, you know, crossovers that look less like trucks, less like traditional SUVs and, and, you know, bring in more cues, you know, based on cars rather than, you know, uh, an off-road vehicle. And so the cycle continues. Uh, I'm, I'm still having trouble just trying to figure out where exactly it fits. Um, I guess so. It's a little smaller than the Equinox, even though it's based on the Equinox. No, it's bit bigger, bigger than the Equinox, oh, smaller than Traverse. Oh, okay. So the Chevy, Chevy crossover lineup goes from uh, the tracks or, you know, if you listen to Chevy, it also includes the Bolt, but, you know, yeah. it's really is the crossover. <laughs> so the, the tracks, the Equinox, the Blazer, and then the Traverse. And then at the top, you know, you have the body on frame, uh, Tahoe and Suburban. But didn't the Traverse just get smaller? No, the, the new Traverse is the same size. So okay. with the with the Lambda platform, the, the big crossover platform, what they did is they they diverged the three. You know, they had the the GMC Acadia, the Buick Enclave, and the Chevy Traverse. And previously they were all dimensionally identical. And so this time they wanted to split them a little bit, you know, to cover a little more ground in the marketplace. So they made the Acadia a little bit smaller. Oh, that's what uh, I'm thinking of. So it's a shorter wheelbase, um, you know, nominal, you know, it's available with a, an optional third row, but it's more of a, a second row. And it's actually a little bigger than what the, the, um, what the, uh, the blazer is going to be. Uh, and then the Traverse is almost exactly the same dimensions as the first generation Traverse. So same length, same height, same width. The Enclave keeps the same um, length and wheelbase as the first generation, but the bodywork is a little bit sleeker. It's a little lower to the ground than the Traverse, uh, so it's targeted more at a you know a more premium luxury audience. Um, you know that's not necessarily going to be interested in in towing. I mean, you're not really going to go off roading in a Traverse either, uh, but it's got you know a little more of that truck like feel right. to it. Right. Well, and the, yeah, the Traverse will. will certainly stack up a little under the enclave price wise too. So 
So, you know, with, with all this stuff that's coming, you know, plus the Cadillac XT4 and uh, there will probably be a larger Cadillac crossover off the Lambda platform at some point, um, you know, basically they're, they're trying to hit every conceivable niche, you know, ha- have a, have a crossover or, or utility vehicle that fits, you know, every conceivable size class. Yeah. Almost like um, uh, BMW has done with their lineup where they've just, they've mm-hmm. got like this splatter of, of yeah, models. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, I, I, I still feel like, I, I don't know. There's, there's like a lot of, they're not all that separate. Like, like I guess, they're they're kind of stacked right on top of each other, sort of size wise, um, among all of their. Yeah, options. I mean, there's not a, there's not a huge difference in size. I mean, you're talking, you know, three or four inches, you know, in wheelbase or or length, you know, going from one to the next one. But what they have done, you know, if you look at them though, they actually, especially if you look at the G, the Chevrolet lineup, just you know, just as one brand, you know, there's actually quite a bit of diversity in the design uh, between them. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the blazer looks quite a bit different from the Equinox, uh, and in, in turn, the, uh, the traverse and then, you know, the tracks, you know, again, is a little bit different at the, at the low end. So, you know, I think, I think that they will probably appeal to different customers, you know, the blazer, I think this new blazer is clearly more of a, uh, an urban utility vehicle than, you know, uh, you know, a, an off-road country vehicle. If you, so to speak. Um, so I think I think they'll appeal to different customers. Such such strange sort of uh, twists of words. Uh, yeah, I know. Urban utility. But, you know, like I think that the value in the Blazer name is there. It, that's why it's been kind of amusing to sit back. Like like you said, it's really expensive to launch a nameplate. And traditionally, uh, the North American automakers are bad at that um, stick to itiveness, I guess, with a, with a name. They don't. Yeah, they, they, they do have a tendency it. to jump, you know, from one generation to the next, you know, swapping names out. Right. You know, like look at Ford with their their compacts. You know, they went from Pinto to Escort to Focus and, you know, who knows what's next. Right. So, like, why wouldn't you just, like, say, OK, keep Pinto had its own issues. So, OK, Escort, uh, you know, let's keep Escort and just make, you know, each generation of Escort different, like like the three series or better. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you can change the car underneath, but keep the name for the consistency's sake. So people know, like after a while, it, it gets ingrained in their head, you know, like um, I, I hope that that is a thing that they do more of. Now, that they have all these names that they've paid to develop and people know what they are. Right. That's why they went back to Taurus, because everybody's like, what's a Ford 500? Like, yeah, a Taurus. OK, right. And, and that's exactly why, you know, Ford, you know, at the Detroit show in January floated the idea of their new uh, electric crossover being called the Mach 1. Yeah, um, it's like I, you're you know, going to. That's, that's a that's a name that, that Mustang fans, Ford fans will recognize. They won't associate it with this kind of vehicle, but it's a name that's recognizable. And, right. you know, it's sounding like, you know, they're they've moved away from using that particular name. So they're pro- they may not call it the Mach 1. Who knows? Um, but you know, it's certainly a name that people recognize. Yeah. And I, that's, there's a value there. They shouldn't throw that away. So, yeah. Uh, and you know, as far as, you know, having, you know, different design, you know, across a lineup of, of utility vehicles, you know, Ford's doing the same thing. Um, you know, the, the stuff that we'll see over the next 18 months, um, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of diversity in the way these look, you know, there, there's cues that tell you, you know, each one of these is a Ford, but like, you know, the, the Ford, the Bronco is going to look very different from an escape, you know, which is going to look different from 
the new the new explorer um you know and so there, there's going to be more diversity you know with all these different variations of suv and crossover that they're going to have you know they're they're they want to have different designs for each one to appeal to different customers yeah yeah i think that um the this blazer thing will sort of blow over and then when they bring out the bronco it's going to be the same thing all over again it's not yeah, the square and, little thing from the 60s <laughs> right well and i wouldn't be surprised you know my guess is that this is this isn't the last addition we'll see to the, the the chevrolet utility lineup i'm guessing that we will probably see a more off-road oriented vehicle based on the colorado platform um you know within the next year to 18 months do you think it'll be a chevy though my my suspicion oh, yeah. is that it'll be a gmc um that's a good point yeah i mean it could it could be a g i mean it could be both that's uh, true but uh, yeah actually it probably would make more sense to do it as a gmc um you know to again to you know kind of put more space between what gmc is versus what chevrolet is and what buick is well and, and the, the reason why i say gmc too is because they just go for more cash gmc <laughs> yeah that's 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 true um that Swapping out a Chevy bow tie for a GMC badge does uh, instantly add a couple of grand margin to the to the bottom line of that vehicle. So, and it's the same thing. I don't understand it, but whatever. It's fi- fine. Right? Yeah, whatever. And <laughs> happy for you. Um, speaking of nameplate consistency, too, uh, you you got to drive the new 2019 Honda Insight, which yeah, just um, looks like an Accord to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of in between an Accord and a Civic. I mean, it, it's, uh, for all intents and purposes, this is the new Civic hybrid. You know, it's based, it's built on the Civic platform. Um, it shares the, the the roof panel and the rear fenders are the only bodywork that's actually shared with the Civic uh, sedan. Everything else is unique, um, unique uh, sheet metal to the Insight. Um, and it's it's a more upscale look. Um, you know, maybe a little more restrained, a little more refined, uh, than the civic. Um, but you know, it's, it's the same chassis, the same floor pan. Uh, well, actually the floor pan is actually modified a little bit to accommodate the battery, which is mounted under the rear seat. Um, but, uh, you know, same, same architecture comes down the same assembly line in Greenberg, Indiana, uh, where they, where they build, uh, one of the plants where they build civics now. Um, and, um, it's uh it's it's really good um you know but as we said you know insight is a brand you know a nameplate from honda that has some familiarity you know i, I think you know yeah. fans of fans of the previous two generations of insight you know have a positive feeling to Wait, it did the second it. generation insight have any fans <laughs> there, there were a couple uh, that was a bad car <laughs> There were there were a couple. I, uh, this yeah. is this is absolutely a much better car than either of the first two insights. You know, so the first insight that came out in two thousand, um, you know, was a little two seat teardrop shaped coupe. Uh, you know, aluminum intensive, very lightweight, um, and manual you know, had a beat, manual. Yeah, beat beat the uh, the Toyota, the original Toyota Prius to the U.S. market by about four months, uh, even though the Prius came out in Japan. Early, a couple of years earlier. Um, and then the second generation insight came out in 2008, um, as it was, it was a, a five door hatchback, um, you know, kind of Prius shaped, uh, you know, based on the fit platform. Um, but you know, kind of neutered all the best stuff about the fit. Um, you know, had a flinty ride, uh, you know, lost yeah. the packaging, the great packaging of the fit because of its low profile, 
uh, body work. Well, and it also you know, just so, felt really cheap inside. Yeah, it did. Like, well, you know, and it was built to a price, you know, okay. and it came out at a time, you know, when a lot of Hondas were being built to a price, you know, they, they, you know, the, the interiors, you know, took a dive, you know, as they got cheaper, um, you know, the whole car, you know, they, they tried to lightweight it, um, you know, and it was just, it did not work, uh, and didn't, didn't sell very well for, for several years. It was relatively inexpensive, um, compared to the Prius at the time, but, uh, it was more, exp- more expensive than a fit and didn't give you a whole lot better fuel economy than a fit. And the, you know, the packaging was way worse. Um, so this time, um, they, they're using the Civic as the platform and it's way better executed. Well, yeah. I mean, it just, it looks like a normal car, which I think that's, I guess that's a double-edged sword, right? Like as the Prius does the Prius thing where it has a, a definable sort of style. Um, this just looks like a normal sedan, but it looks great too. So oh, yeah. that's helpful. <laughs> and yeah. You know, weird. It, it, it looks, it looks like a normal sedan and, you know, to the, I mean, you know, the, the look of the current generation Civic, is not necessarily appealing to everyone. Um, you know, it's to some, you know, some people, you know, consider it a little overstyled, especially in the hatchback form. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's an excellent car to drive. Um, this one retains all of the good stuff about the civic gives it a little more upscale look both outside and, and also inside in particular. And this is one of the things that, you know, Honda says they were aiming for with this car is to, to make it feel more premium, uh, than, than both the civic and, and past, uh, insights, <clears throat> you know, so there's, there's actually not, um, not a whole lot in terms of the, the hardware inside the car that is shared with the civic, uh, at least the, the visible stuff. Um, you know, it has a newer infotainment system, you know, based on what you get in the, uh, the Accord and the CRV or and the Odyssey. Um, you know, so it's got uh, rotary volume and tuning knobs, just like those cars, uh, instead of the, the touch volume controls that the Civic, that the Civic has, uh, different steering wheel. And my guess is that at some, you know, when, when they get around to doing the mid-cycle refresh on the Civic, you know, sometime in the next 12 months, uh, we'll probably see a lot of this stuff come into the Civic as well. Um, but, uh, one, one of the interesting points is, um, in the Civic, uh, you know, underneath the, um, the center console, there's, there's actually a little cubby underneath the center console. So you've, you, you know, like a lot of modern cars, you've got this kind of floating center console mm-hmm. and then there's a little storage cubby underneath there that you can access from either side. Uh, that's missing in the insight because one of the things they did was in order to maintain the, the common front structure with the civic, um, they, because of the extra hard hybrid hardware that they have under there, they moved the 12 volt battery um, inside. And so it's actually mounted underneath that center console. Yeah. Uh, that, that's becoming more, more and more common, I guess, is inside mounted batteries. The, my Jeep has, yeah, usually, the usually seat. they go in the trunk though. Yeah. That, yeah. And the Volvos, my last Volvos had them in the trunk. Um, yeah. So the, the, so it's a smaller battery though, I'm assuming to fit like in that space. Um, not a whole lot smaller. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's a, it's a decent sized console. Um, you know, it is, it is an AGM battery. So it's an absorbed glass mat, a you know, deep cycle battery, yeah. like the ones they use on cars with auto stop start systems. The, the powertrain on this is their third generation two motor hybrid system. So it's, um, similar to what's in the, um, the new Accord hybrid, but with a 1.5 liter, um, Atkinson cycle four cylinder that's in the, um, that's in the clarity plug-in hybrid. 
Uh, and then, as I said, the, the high voltage battery sits underneath the, the, the rear seat. And so there's no compromise to the trunk, the cargo volume in the trunk. And you still get the fold down rear seats and you get the full size pass through, unlike some other hybrids where you get a little slot that you can stuff things through. This, and this one, you get the full size uh, pass through from the trunk for long objects. Um, you know, it drives really well. Uh, it, uh, it's fuel efficient. The ones we drove are were the, the touring models, which is the, it comes right. in LX, EX, or touring. Um, and the, uh, the touring, you know, gets slightly lower fuel economy. The LX and EX are, are uh, rated at um, 55 combined or 52 combined, I think, 55 in the city. And the, uh, the touring is at 48 because it's got bigger wheels, tires, 17-inch wheels and tires. Uh, you know, it, it drives pretty much like a Civic, you know, handles, you know, similar driving dynamics to the Civic, which you would expect. Um, the, the only, uh, you know, when it's, when the engine's off or when you're just, um, you know, going steady state, the powertrain is really, really quiet. Hard acceleration, you can hear, you know, a bit of the, the motor boating, you know, that you can hear the engine working a bit, but it's not, it's not too terribly offensive. Um, you know, driving, you know, fairly briskly, um, on our, on our drive, you know, I didn't make any attempt to maximize fuel economy and we got 41 miles per gallon. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, and more normal driving, you know, getting mid to upper forties would be pretty easy in this thing. Um, so, you know, it's, if you're, if you're looking for a really fuel efficient, you know, roomy compact sedan, uh, you know, that has lots of features, you know, I think this is, this is definitely one worth considering, uh, what does it go for though? Like it sounds like uh, it's going upscale. So is the price also the, going upscale? The, the EX starts at twenty two. Um, the LX, uh, or sorry, the LX starts at twenty two. The EX goes for twenty four and a half or so, um, and the um, uh, Touring is about twenty eight. Uh, you know, and you know, typical Honda fashion. You know, there's not a lot of standalone options. Basically, everything is packaged into those trim levels. Um, you know, I think all in, you know, with everything available on a touring, you're still looking, you know, like 29 and change roughly. Um, now the, the pack, the way they package some of the options is a little bit different from the civic with the nominally the same trim levels. So the, the Honda sensing package, the driver assist package is standard across all insights, which mm -hmm. is something they're moving towards across all Hondas going forward. So you get adaptive cruise control and lane keeping and all that stuff as standard equipment. Um, but, you know, for example, the EX, the, the Insight EX um, does not have a sunroof. Um, where, so if you want a sunroof, you have to go to the Touring, whereas the Civic EX does have a sunroof. Uh, so, you know, the, the comparisons are not exact. So basically, you're looking at, a, you know, about a $2,000 premium over a comparably equipped Civic. Uh, but it's, you know, it's still pretty reasonable at, you know. Um, for, you know, a car that, you know, is not a huge car on the outside, you know, it's very roomy in the inside, you know, a couple of adults in the back seat, you know, even, even three on shorter trips, you know, it's not the widest car in the world, but, you know, in terms of legroom and headroom, there's plenty of that. And the, uh, and the trunk is, well, the trunk is like 15 cubic feet, which is pretty good. Yeah. So it's a good, good sized trunk, you know, it's well-shaped, uh, very usable. And, you know, personally, I would have, I think, I would have preferred to see them, you know, maybe do a, a hatchback version of the insight. Um, but that, you know, that's me. Uh, <laughs> but it's, and it's, uh, so how does it stack up against like the, the Hyundai Ionic or, um, or the Prius? 
Uh, it definitely feels more upscale than either of those. It doesn't have any of the weirdness of the Prius. So yeah. I would absolutely take this over a Prius, even though, you know, Prius, you're going to get, you know, a little bit more, uh, both the Insight or the Ionic and the Prius, you're going to get probably a little more peak fuel economy. Uh, but I think in most normal driving, the difference is going to be small enough that, you know, as you get above, you know, get to 35, 40 miles per gallon and above, you know, the, the differences in how much fuel you actually save for every additional mile per gallon really start to dwindle. Uh, and so, you know, your your fuel costs are not actually going to be much different in this thing versus versus those two. And, you know, it it feels more premium than either of those two and doesn't have any of the Prius weirdness and certainly looks a lot better on the outside than than certainly than the Prius. You know, I mean, I like the Ionic, um, the looks, but, you know, I think this this one is definitely more upscale. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, hey, it's good to have another uh, sort of choice in that low, lower priced, high fuel economy kind of uh, option, you know, like when you start to look around, there's not a whole lot of choices um, when you want to try to keep the the cost below, say, 30 or 35, and you want good fuel economy, whether it's a, you know, a diesel, a hybrid or an EV or, or whatever, you know, like. Yeah. And, you know, and this is this is a lot more enjoyable to drive um, that at least than the than the Prius. You know, I, I like, you know, I like the Civic driving dynamics, you know, the Insight driving dynamics a lot better, even though the, the Insight is much improved. I would take this one, um, or rather, the the current Prius is much improved over previous generations. I would still prefer this one. Yeah, and it's it's a uh, it seems like it's a thoroughly American car too, where all the pieces and parts come from. So, uh, uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah, uh, you know, it's assembled in Indiana. Uh, engines, uh, you know, the the hybrid transmission now they're they're building those in uh, in Ohio as well. Uh, so their their Ohio transmission plant is now building the hybrid transmissions for both the Accord and the uh, Insight here in the U.S. Um, and uh, batteries are assembled. Battery packs are assembled in Kentucky, although I think the cells still come from Japan. Um, you know, so it's you know it's got a lot of U.S. content in it. So there you go. Um, yeah. Speaking of that U.S. content, I was trying to pivot, trying to trying to pivot us to the S60 because there's a new S60 being built in the U.S. And that's Volvo's first U.S. plant. Yep. Um, uh, not their first North American plant, but their first U.S. plant. Right. Was their, their last North American plant was Halifax? Uh, yeah, I think I think it was in Halifax. It was somewhere in Nova Scotia back were, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and they were doing knockdown kits there. You rig, yeah, exactly. Um, so they would ship over boxes of parts and just screw them together in Halifax and then, uh, deliver them across North America, um, with, uh, the 240 series. Yeah. Which mine, I was really excited to find out that they were doing that. I really wanted my 240 to be in a Halifax car. It was a Torslanda car. So no. that's, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's what's more exciting though. Is it like the, the, the new S60 or the fact that Volvo now has a U.S. plant? Uh, um, yeah, I think <laughs> both, you know, I mean the, the X, the S 60, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually m- more excited for the V 60 than the S 60 myself. Yeah. I can understand uh, that. 
you know, the, the S60 is a great looking car, you know, and the V60 makes it even better because it's a wagon. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, the same, same thing. Um, the S60 is available with, uh, three powertrain options, the, the T5 two liter turbo, the T6, you add a supercharger to that and the T8, uh, plug-in hybrid. Um, and you know, because this is built on the, the SPA, the scalable platform architecture, um, there'll be, you know, um, when the the next generation XC90 uh, comes out, um, and they think they said about about a year or so from now, which seems kind of early, but you know, whatever, uh, maybe it's a refresh. They're going to add production of that to this plant in South Carolina as well, um, and then the. Uh, you know, we may well see, you know, production of XC60s here. Uh, you know, they, I mean, they could build all of those, you know, all those different variations because uh, they all come off the same platform uh, in South Carolina. One of the things that was interesting, Hawkins Samuelson at the event, uh, he's the CEO of Volvo Cars, um, said that, you know, the based on, you know, how the current trade situation works out in terms of tariffs and so on. Right. That's, that's my concern. That's actually going to impact what their decisions are um, for building vehicles here in the U.S. And actually, you know, seem to indicate that, you know, with tariffs on aluminum and steel, um, that they would they may actually scale back some of their plans, you know, for expansion in South Carolina um, because of the extra cost associated with that. So rather than bringing more production to the U.S., it could actually lead to less production and, and fewer sales in North America. Yeah, or at least in the U.S. And I think that's that's not an uncommon situation when you especially when you look at the southeast, which uh, has become I don't want to say thick with automakers but there's there's a lot more there no, than you might think thick with automakers there's you know there's a lot of you know most of the new car plants built in the last 15 20 years especially those built by foreign automakers have been built in the southeast um in large part because that that region is pretty hostile to the uaw or into unions in general and you know the manufacturers would just as soon build a plant without a union yeah, well, and they they have port access, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pluses on the, on the plus side of the ledger as well. Uh, besides the anti-union stance uh, or, or sentiment, um, th- it seems like every time the southeast sort of starts to get going, they get kicked. <laughs> like uh, the whole tariff thing just really frustrates me because it's it's like you know we're 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 seeing industry come there, like global industry, and it's it's starting to really over the last fifteen years, it's really gained some traction. You know, we've got. Nissan, Volkswagen, BMW, Mercedes, now Volvo. Like that—that's not insignificant. BMW Spartanville, South Carolina plant is the largest plant that BMW operates anywhere in the world. Right. You know, it it builds the X5, the X6, the X4, the X3, uh, soon the X7. yeah, and for export too, not just export. for yeah. Yeah, they actually actually export more cars, more vehicles than they than they sell. Um, in the U.S. from Spartanburg, right? So yeah. that's so, that's people here building them. Like that's yeah, I mean, like, they, they have made huge investments here, you know. And you know, somebody wants to throw tariffs on, you know, German cars. Well, yeah, and it, there's that uncertainty about um, whether it's on the raw material or the finished part, and you know, because of the way parts round trip. Uh, to become assemblies and then get delivered to the plant too. Like there's a lot of uncertainty and I think collectively the industry is kind of well, holding. What, yeah, I mean, what, what they, you know, what they're talking about, it, you know, there, there's, um, 
there's got they've got tariffs that they want to put on the raw materials on the steel and aluminum, but they're they're also talking about um, a, you know a, an import tax, a border tax on the finished vehicles, so vehicles that they you know finished vehicles that they import uh, from Europe and particularly from Germany, uh, you know and and you know the president has made comments about wanting to get all the Mercedes off the streets of New York. I yeah. Um... I have opinions, which we will not delve into at the moment, but it just seems like the car business is probably not the one that you need to pick on <laughs> Yeah, at the moment, given the size of the industry in the United States and the, the uh, just, I, I don't know how deeply these guys who are trying to shape policy really understand that the, the sort of the, the tendrils of the auto industry go. Um it's it's a deep and wide kind of business that loops in a lot of other much smaller businesses that are still crucially important. Um, you know, everything has to be manufactured, wiring looms, switches, seat covers, motors, like all of that and, stuff. And a lot of those pieces go through a lot of different hands on the way from being raw materials to a finished product that's delivered to a customer. Yeah. You know, you've got thousands of parts that go into a car, you know, they're coming from, you know, all over the world, you know, and, you know, in a coordinated process, at least in most plants in a coordinated process <laughs> being assembled into, uh, into a vehicle. Um, and we, we won't, we won't talk about the uncoordinated uh, plant. Um, okay, I mean, you just put a tent in the parking lot. It's fine. Yeah. That's, that's all you need. <laughs> but no, it's amazing. It's a, like, it, we sh that should be one of our proudest industries uh, or like sort of proudest points. It's just the way that industry works. Like they, they are logistics masters. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it, it's just, when you start to really break it down, it's really, it's, it's really amazing. The cars aside, just the way they get all the pieces where they need to go is very impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what Toyota has developed over the years with their, uh, the Toyota manufacturing system, you know, that has largely been adopted by most most manufacturers now, you know, with just in time, you know, uh, there, there was, you know, somebody posted a, uh, a quote today on Twitter uh, from the book, The Toyota Way, which is published in 2004, uh, which, you know, refer, you know, references the fact that, uh, you know, in a Toyota assembly plant, you know, from the time that a body comes out of the body shop, you know, finished, you know, painted till the time it hits the assembly line, there's about a four hour gap in there. And in that time gap, orders are issued to suppliers, you know, that typically, you know, oftentimes are, um, you know, the, these uh, parts, these tier one suppliers that supply directly to the, the plants, um, you know, they're usually located within an hour or two, their own plants are located within an hour or two, and sometimes right next door to the assembly plants, you know, so they'll issue orders uh, and sequences for what what parts they need in what color and and what order they should come in and they go directly from the supplier plant they get built you know so things like seats and instrument panels and door panels and everything else will get assembled in those supplier plants nearby and in the span of that 3 or 4 hours between when a body a body in white comes out of the the body shop and gets paint and is painted uh till the time it hits the beginning of the assembly line um, you know, they will have all that stuff built, delivered and, you know, sitting on a conveyor in sequence in the right sequence. So that when that car, you know, so when the, you know, a, a blue Honda Civic comes down the line, you know, there will be, you know, 
black seats and um, you know black instrument panel and all the all the right combination of trim parts that are ready to just install without having to sort through and pick through and find the right parts to put in a particular car and make sure that you have everything matched up. It's all done already. You know, unlike a certain other plant that we won't talk about today. <laughs> all right. Before we devolve into the, that that portion of the show, um, why don't we wrap it up? Unless okay. There's something else we want to uh, cover, but I mean, um, I think the the only other thing I wanted to touch on was the uh, Ford buying the Michigan Central. Oh Station. yeah, we forgot about that. That's big news. That's huge yeah. news, actually. Yeah. We should so, talk about that before we wrap it up. Um, so so here, you know. Uh, here in the Detroit area, you know, Detroit for, you know, for the past couple of decades, you know, has been uh, home to a, a genre that has popped up on the internet called ruin porn, you know, where, because we've got, you know, especially in the city of Detroit, you know, there's so many, you know, abandoned and derelict factories and other buildings, you know, that have just been allowed to sit and rot for, you know, for decades in some cases, um, you know, there's this genre of stuff, you know, people will go in and explore in these buildings and photograph them inside and, and take them, you know, po post them online. And one of the, the icons of this genre has been the Michigan Central Terminal, uh, which is a train station that opened in 1913, um, you know, just, just west of downtown Detroit in a, in a neighborhood called Corktown. Um, and the station closed in 1988. Um, and it's been sitting empty and derelict ever since then for 30 years now. Um, you know, and there have been all kinds of ideas floated about what to do with it over the years. And, you know, as recently as 2009, the city council issued an order to begin demolition on it immediately. And that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Um, and so in the past week, um, yeah, I guess the process actually started around uh, December of last year. The conversation started uh, between Ford and uh, the Maroon family that that owns the train station and a whole bunch of other property in that area. Yeah. So help me uh, understand, too, like the Maroon family is not well liked, not not, uh, not no, everybody's they're, favorite. They're, people? they're pretty much despised by most people in Detroit. OK, why? Uh, uh, well, um, they, they made their fortune, uh, Maddie Maroon, the, the patriarch of the family, you know, made his fortune in trucking, the trucking business. And over the years, you know, bought up, you know, lots of stuff around Detroit. He happens to own the Ambassador Bridge, oh, which is okay. the, the, the <laughs> primary um, border crossing between Detroit and Windsor. Um, and so he actually owns the border crossing. You know, he collects the tolls. He, um, you know, he, and so it's it's a it's a giant mess. And you know, he's for years they they've been they wanted to build a second span, a second bridge across the Detroit River. He wants to do it because he wants to control that border crossing. Um, several years back, the uh, the government of Ontario uh, proposed that they would build a bridge, and they said, "We will build this bridge. We will pay for it." And we will let everybody use it. <laughs> you know, you, it will not cost the United States or the state of Michigan or the city of Detroit a dime. And, you know, so this was approved in Canada. There was a vote here in Michigan to approve it. Michigan voters approved it overwhelmingly. Um, he's still the Maroons are still fighting this. They, in fact, earlier this week, they ran an ad on uh, Fox and Friends, only on Fox and Friends targeted directly at a certain resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue saying, oh. you need to stop this bridge. You need to revoke the permits to build this bridge, you know, because we shouldn't have another country controlling uh, a border crossing 
you know, which should, just should be my family that controls this border crossing. But anyway, um, so, you know, they, the Maroons have done nothing with this building since they bought it in, I think, 1992. You know, it's just been sitting rotting, you know, for, for many years, you know, it, and it's directly visible from the bridge, you know, for anybody coming into Detroit from Canada. This thing is sitting right there. The built, you know, it's an 18 story building. All the windows were gone. You know, it's just this shell of a building. And it was because, you know, great architecture. It was a beautiful building. And um, so they they did nothing with it until two years ago. They finally, you know, the, the mayor, the mayor's office got them to at least install some windows back into place. And so now the, the Ford has bought uh, the building. Uh, they actually bought another building a couple blocks away uh, last fall, uh, which is an old hosiery factory, uh, which is now known just as the factory, uh, which they used. They refurbished that and they moved the uh, what the group known as Team Edison, which is the team working on business models for autonomous and electric vehicles um, into that building starting in uh, March or April of this year. So they've got a couple hundred people working in that building. Uh, they bought the, the train station now, and they had a big celebration um, this uh, this past Tuesday uh, to announce what they're doing. Uh, they're also buying a couple of other buildings in the area and some parcels of land. And you know they didn't get into a lot of specifics, other than you know they're planning to move about 2,500 people into the into this building um, the, as they refurbish it over the next couple of years. And it's going to take a lot of work to, to refurbish it. Cause you know, a lot of stuff, you know, has crumbled over the years, but you know, it's still, the structure itself is apparently still pretty solid. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're finally, finally something's going to happen with it. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is in this particular area of Detroit, you know, it was Corktown, you know, uh, the old tiger stadium was a couple blocks away from there. Um, you know, that's recently been, uh, that site has been turned into uh, the Detroit Police Athletic Field a League uh, ball field. Uh, so they're, you know, they're using that for for playing baseball again. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of development going on in that area, a lot of new restaurants and stuff. But there's also still a lot of empty buildings, a lot of empty parcels of land along there. And I think what's probably going to happen is, you know, Ford is moving a bunch of people in there. They're hoping to attract, you know, some of their partners and other companies to set up shop in that, in that area. And I think what they want to do is use this as sort of a canvas for trying out ideas for next generation mobility. Um, you know, one of, one of the interesting things, you know, is that the, the train line, you know, this this was the the uh, you know the station for the Michigan Central Railway. You know, and for for decades, you know, uh, it was the primary way to get get to Detroit for a lot of people. Um, the train line still runs from the station directly through Dearborn and on west. You know, right past the Ford uh, headquarters campus in Dearborn. You know, which is about seven miles west of where the train station is, and you know, so there was some talk about you know at some point they'd they'd like to have a a commuter rail uh, system running between the train station and the main campus, um, you know, and basically have this corridor of development along there. And what's what's interesting is this is not the first time that Ford uh, has been involved in you know some sort of revitalization project no, for Detroit. No. I mean, Gen know. General Motors benefited from that. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in 1970, Henry Ford II, uh, Bill Ford's uncle, you know, started uh, Detroit Renaissance, which was a nonprofit, uh, which was 
you know, the goal was, you know, to help revive the city of Detroit, you know, in the, in the wake of the, the late sixties riots and white flight and everything. And, you know, what that resulted in was the construction of the Renaissance center, which, you know, at the time, you know, when it opened in 1977, you know, was was basically a city within a city, which was part of the problem because one of the things they did was they had these huge concrete berms, these 30 foot high concrete berms out front, you know, on the Michigan Avenue side or the Jefferson Avenue side of the, the complex that really kind of physically isolated the whole thing from the rest of Detroit. You know, and the way the interior was designed, you know, was, you know, basically designed to to isolate the whole place from the rest of Detroit instead of spurring uh, development around it, it, it really did none of that. Um, you know, and, and things continued to decay around it yeah. until, until GM bought the Rensen, um, you know, in the mid 19, I think 1996. Um, and they eventually made it their, their uh, world headquarters. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean that whole issue with the old, sort of that old attempt at revitalizing Detroit it was, it wasn't really genuine. You know, somebody was telling me about the, the Detroit airport. It's like, it was amazing. It's this beautiful thing and it's just glass and just high tech and just really, I was like, yeah, you know why? Because executives from around the globe come in there and then they get whisked away to wherever they need to go. So that's, they, they see a nice airport and then they, they see the offices. They don't see anything else in between. And that, that's right. sort of like that isolation approach. It's that's not 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 helpful. Yeah. So this time, you know, um, instead of building something new from scratch, you know, demolishing what's there and building something new from scratch, you know, Bill Ford's approach, um, you know, is completely different. You know, taking you know what has been an eyesore for for decades and rehabbing that, and you know, really trying to you know, work with the, the community around it. Yeah. Whether or not this works, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's going to take years to, to know whether it's successful, but, you know, I think, I think they're on the right track this time. You know, I think, I think this approach is more likely to work than in the past than what they did in the past, you know, which was, I mean, what, you know, what Renaissance Detroit Renaissance did in the 1970s was that was very consistent with kind of what was being done with urban redevelopment all over the place in the 1970s, you know, tear down the old stuff, build something new, you know, and there was never really any connection between the old and the new. And this time, you know, they're, they're trying to bring in, the new and integrate it with the old, you know, so, you know, turn this into, you know, uh, turn the train station into offices for high tech workers, you know, put all their software teams, um, in, in the train station, you know, and ha- attract a lot of other, uh, technology related businesses around it, uh, you know, and create this, uh, this campus and this community, you know, that that's integrated with the community rather than isolated from it. Well, yeah, they need to. You know, they're based in Detroit. They sell cars because they're based in Detroit. They they make they make hay out of that. Uh, they they should get back to the community in some way and invest in the community where they are. So it's good to see. Um, yeah, and and I think that the the separate campus thing may actually work to their benefit, depending on how they you know they set up the teams to work and, and stuff too. It sort of breaks you out of that somewhat you know hive mind culture. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, things like the the vehicle product development teams, things like that. You know, they'll they'll stay in Dearborn, you know, but they're getting a new campus as well. I mean, you know, Ford is in the middle of rebuilding their product development center uh, in Dearborn, you know, and so they're getting all new offices there. Um, you know, and this is for you know for a different group of people, but you know, they're still going to be working together. And that's part of I think you know why why they like the idea of the train station, why they talked about you know having the 
you know, commuter trains running back and forth, you know, and they've, they've already started actually running, you know, in the last, in recent weeks, um, you know, since they moved people into, uh, into the factory, which is the, the building a couple of blocks away, um, they've started running the chariot service. Uh, you know, we talked with the founder of chariot, um, way back when, um, one of the early episodes of, uh, of the show. But, you know, it's a micro transit service, you know, on demand, um, you know, shuttle buses running back and forth between uh, Corktown and Dearborn. Uh, so they've got that going here now. And, you know, I think we'll see I'll, I think we'll see them experimenting with a bunch of the other things, some of the things that they're trying in places like Miami and Pittsburgh, um, you know, and also trying some new ideas here as well to, you know, because, you know, Detroit's got different issues. It's a different layout, you know, it's different different problems that they have to tackle. So I think they're going to be experimenting with a lot of this stuff in Corktown, you know, to figure out what's, what's going to work. And, and more importantly, you know, trying to find business models that are going to be financially viable. Cause the thing, the thing about, you know, all the, all the different uh, mobility services that we've seen crop up in the last seven or eight years, you know, with the ride hailing and car sharing and, and everything else. The one thing that nobody has figured out yet, is how to make money on it. <laughs> oh, maybe they should start there, by not. There's not a single one of these companies that's actually profitable. Yeah, they should start and, start by not making the rides too cheap. Charge what they cost. <laughs> yeah, but then, <laughs> you know? but then it's harder to attract people to use uh, the service. I, I know, I know. So you got to you got to find that balance, you know. And that's that's what they're trying to do is figure out how do we use these vehicles in a way that is going to be that's going to attract people to use it, but that's also going to be useful and be able to get it, generate enough revenue to be profitable. There will be change coming to Detroit, hopefully positive change. So that's, that's good to see. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of, I mean, there's still a hell of a long way to go in Detroit, but you know, in the, the 30 years I've lived in this area, I've seen more positive stuff happening in the last, you know, three, four years than at any previous time. Well, I mean, there you go. So if, if you say it, so shall it be. <laughs> um, all right. I did not mean to prematurely wrap up the show. Uh, so I think we're, we're at this point. We've exhausted our list of topics and uh, we can all move on to to the next episode when when that happens, which should be sometime we'll try, soon. We'll try to make that sometime this week. <laughs> yeah, I won't be on airplanes this week. It should be a lot easier. Not, neither will I. So got a couple things going on locally, but uh got uh, the Ford EcoSport uh, that we can talk about next week. And EcoSport or EcoSport? Uh, EcoSport, EcoSport, Echo whatever. EcoSport with an EcoBoost. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this one doesn't have an EcoBoost. Uh, see? So. <laughs> um, all right. And I think I'm going to an Acura RDX thing this week. So uh, okay. I'll have that to talk about. Maybe, maybe next week you, uh, you can have your interview with Elliot Schneider as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will get to putting that together and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get that up. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.